Coming to you from the Yard Dogs Podcast Studio. A show for the fans by the fans. Talking all things Cleveland Browns from our mic to your ears. To your ears. With your hosts, Jason Hand and Mikey P. Yes, and welcome to another episode of the Yard Dogs Podcast, a show for the fans, by the fans. I'm your host, Jason Hand. You can find me on Twitter, at Browns Huddle. You can also find this podcast on Twitter, at Yard Dogs Pod. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, have a story to tell, and would like to share it, hit us up on Twitter. Our DMs are wide open. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and please share the show because it helps more than you'll ever know. We are streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find the Yard Dogs podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. While you're there, give us a follow so that way we can remind you every time we uh, drop a new episode. Joining me tonight is my co-pilot, my partner in crime, you can see him on your screen. He's big, he's live, and that is Mikey P. You can find him on Twitter at MikeyP422. How we doing tonight, bud? We're doing awesome, man. How about yourself? Fantastic. Had a tough day at work, but uh, I'm, I'm home now. I'm showered. I'm, I'm ready for the Yard Dogs podcast. Me too, man. We got a great show uh, coming up tonight, too, so can't wait to get into it. Got an awesome guest coming on to join us. We do. Uh, Going to talk a little Browns. Of course, you know, we don't get to talk about a Browns playoff game this year, but uh, we talk about some some other stuff, you know, as, as we build further into the offseason. Yeah. Yeah, we got a great guest. He's actually in the waiting room. We're going to bring him in in a couple minutes. Uh, Allison Burnett is going to join the podcast. So he's uh, he's got a story to tell about his adventures uh, being a part of the Browns backers in New York City. So we'll bring him in in a couple minutes. Um, Mikey P., we're able to give away a Browns hoodie this past week. We did. Uh, we did. Uh, Bro uh, Joe Death Punch, I'm sorry, Bro Joe Death Punch Walter on Twitter won the Browns hoodie, and uh, we got that all sent off, so he should be getting it at his home any day now. So. Yeah, we'll have to make sure when, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he'll join us in season three when he comes and joins us again for season three that he uh, makes sure he wears the hoodie when he stands up this time. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who are like, Browns hoodie, I didn't know about that. We actually did a Browns hoodie giveaway this past Sunday as a thank you for all the support, all the uh, positive feedbacks, guests that we've had in season two of the yard dogs podcast we opened up to our viewers on facebook and twitter and uh did did a live drawing on last week's show and brojo death punch won the free hoodie um we'll do other giveaways so so stay tuned for that um also mikey p i'm excited about this in the month of february by the way we're all booked up all all four weeks in february are booked up in the month of february we are honoring Browns backers worldwide, which I'm very excited about. You, I mean, you, you're a member wow. of uh, the Browns backers in Virginia Beach. I'm excited to have uh, some Browns backers on from around the country and different parts of the world, even uh, to come in and you know sh- share their Browns fandom and, and what they love about the Browns and talk a little off season and uh, 
also find out, you know, like, you know, what do they do? Like, what does their club do? Each each club is different. So be awesome to do that and uh, promote the Browns backers chapters uh, because they do do a lot for the, their communities and, and charity and stuff. So it's really awesome to see, you know, what what Browns fans you know do, like I said, all over the country and all over the world. No doubt. So that's going to be the month of February, which is just a couple weeks away. Uh, like I said, we have guests for all four of those weeks, and, and I'm excited about it because uh, Browns backers, it's the largest organized sports um, club in the world, from my understanding. It is. still is. So, um, also, Rachel, coming, on, coming aboard for Season 3, she's going to be making an appearance uh, in the next couple episodes, we had a production meeting last night, uh, Mikey P, with, with you, myself, and, and Rachel. I'm excited. We're going full steam ahead. Uh, we, we, we went over everything um, to make the show better, and Rachel's excited to come on board. What, you, what, do, you think about, what do you think about that? I'm excited. Can't, I can't wait to have Rachel part of the show. She's going to bring a lot to the table, a lot of knowledge, and share her information and I mean, help keep us in line at times and uh i'm excited for it any anything that makes the show better i'm for you know <laughs> and she's a huge knowledgeable browns fan definitely, definitely. so she's we're not, excited about her coming not, on not just spitting out uh you know random quotes like she 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 backs it with facts and stats that's right that's right um we are streaming live on our facebook page uh, yard dogs podcast you can find us on youtube also search yard dogs podcast and on twitter at yard dogs pod listener comments are welcome we like to interact with with the viewers so if you if you have a comment during the show go ahead and post it and we will uh, hopefully see it and, and talk about it so hope you enjoy the show let's go ahead and bring our guest in coming to the yard is straight from hollywood so it's a uh, you know it's three hours time difference. I think it's about four thirty there, straight from California. He is a writer, a director. Um, he he's done several movies, uh, some of which I, I've heard of a couple definitely. Um, and that's Allison Burnett. We're going to go ahead and bring him on the stream right now to join the Yard Dogs podcast. There he is, Hi. Allison Burnett. Welcome to the show, man. Great to be here. Very excited. I love talking about the Browns more than just about anything, so it's a, <laughs> a good topic. That, that's and I don't have that many people I can talk to about it. You know, it's not like I'm surrounded. I don't have. A, I have my godson. I have brainwashed, so he has been drawn deep into the cult. And I have a girlfriend, um, and she watches every week and is is slowly absorbed uh, <laughs> a love of the team, which is great. That's usually how it happens. My my wife's done the same thing. Like she she never had a football team uh, until until we got together and got married. Yeah, you know she just loves to see the Browns do good. And it helps uh, to have Baker. You know Baker. Yeah. You know the girls like Baker. She likes it. <laughs> that helps. My wife's a, a Stefanski fan. Oh yeah, she yeah. They all like they like you like guys. Him. You guys can't ever let the handsome coach go. That's what she calls him, the handsome coach. I love they it. Even call him by his name. He's the handsome. That's really coach. good. That's good. <laughs> um, well, I'm here to tell you guys about my circuitous route to a um, Hollywood career and how I owe it all to the Browns. Um, the story begins in the '80s in New York City. I moved there. Um, I lived in Cleveland Heights till I was 10 years old, and I took a little bit of Browns fandom with me. But then I moved to Evanston, Illinois, and one day I was sitting around bored. I was like 11 years old, and I turned on a Browns game, and Bill Nelson was the quarterback. 
in those days, you know, he had wobbly knees and it threw about 56% completion rate when he was on. Uh, he wore braces on his knees. And I really, ju- and I just sort of fell in love with football and the team. And my dad had been a rabid Browns fan. And he wasn't even living in our house anymore. They had divorced after Cleveland. But I still remember him screaming, why are they sending Leroy Kelly up the middle? Damn it. Like he, why, <laughs> he was always screaming at, at, at Blanton Collier for sending Leroy Kelly up the middle. Um, so these were the days where they still had Milt Morin and, and they still, it was like a little, it was like the turning, it was sort of a turning point from the old Browns into the sort of the, the great ones that were to come. So I followed them, you know, religiously and, but, but in those days, like if you, people don't, can't, young people cannot imagine this, but if you loved your team and they were not in your city, it was almost impossible. Like what you would do is you would watch Monday night football because they would do the, Howard Cosell would do the highlights and they might show you eight seconds of your game, right? And they, Greg Pruitt up the middle and, and you'd watch him, ah, you'd see the <laughs> uniform and that was it. And then of course, what you had to hope is that they'd be on TV. Right. But you never knew what games were going to be on TV. There were lots of weird blackout rules. And because I lived in Chicago, it would often be the Bears game on one channel. And then what would the AFC game? Sometimes they'd tell you it was the Browns. And you'd get all excited. And then you turn it on. And it would be like, here we are in Foxborough. And we're playing the Dolphins. And, and you know, there was just no rhyme or reason to it. It was so painful. So then you'd wait for they showed the highlights at halftime. You know, it was glimpses, right? So then I moved to New York City. After college, I went to Northwestern, I stayed in Evanston, Illinois, went to Northwestern, I moved to New York City, and now it's like the beginning of the 80s, and I'm, again, like, I'm subscribing to the, to the Browns News, uh, what was it called, Browns News Weekly, mm-hmm. and it was a weekly, the weekly newspaper, and it would arrive in New York City, like, on Fridays, and you'd get this little newspaper that would sum up the week before, have some interviews, it was orange and white, you know, mm-hmm. and then there'd be some preview about what was coming. And that, and I would devour that and be kind of ready for the next week. Is it, um, was there, it that right there? Oh, yeah. There it is. Wow, I've it not is. seen one of those in a very long time. There's Bernie oh, right there. God, uh-huh. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> I think at one point, like, those would be in, like, Sports Illustrated or USA Today. And, like, every team, I think, had their own version of that. And oh, I just wow. remember, I remember I getting it. it was, oh, that's cool. It I didn't know. A, I thought it was something that that was because you know Browns, Browns clubs and Browns fans were famous in those days for having the most fans outside of their city. Right. Like even then, people knew because of the great legacy of the Browns that there was all this love for them. Anyway, so this so this took me a, quite a few years, and I wish I could get. I think it's about 1987. I was proofreading a law firm. By the way, I'm I'm writing plays. You know, I spent a year at Juilliard writing plays writing short stories, began to not wrote two novels. I'm going nowhere in my career. I have no glimmer of hope, you know, but I just keep writing. I'm teaching myself how to write. So I'm growing as a writer, but I have no professional anything. And then um, I, somebody one day at my law firm said, there's this thing called satellite bars. I'm like, you know, like what the hell is that? They go, well, I guess these bars, you know, they get all of the Browns games like on a, on a satellite feed. Now, the only time I'd ever seen a satellite feed was that my best friend from college was Gary Kroger. That ring, ring a bell? He, he was not. on Saturday Night Live for three years. The name and, is, is and so he, he, was, he was on with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Brad Hall, Tim Kazarinski, Joe Piscopo. Like, those are the 80s. That was the okay. 80s. Yeah. Uh, Chris Guest, Martin Short, uh, Short, you know, those people, and Eddie Murphy. So 
sometimes on Sunday, I would go to NBC at 30 Rock, which is where they shoot Saturday Night Live. And on a Sunday morning, after Saturday Night Live was over, you know, they don't even get home till four in the morning. I would like beg Gary to wake up and we would crawl there. But remember, the games are on at one o'clock, as you know, on the East Coast. So we would go there and sit there in the empty, in 30 Rockefeller Center, which was like empty. And every TV in the whole building would have the feed, the NBC feed. So wow. he could sit like right there at a desk and he could watch the Packers and I could watch the Browns on another TV if, if the Packers. So that was my first glimmer that such a thing could even exist, that I could see the Browns. A few, not, we didn't do it every week, but I see the time. Now this guy says to me, he had this thing called a, a satellite bar. And here's where it is. I hear it's down like on Wall Street somewhere. So I thought, well, what the hell? I wake up, you know, and I take this expensive, you know, cab down there because I was, you know, didn't want to, I didn't know anything about how to get around this weird, it, was, it wasn't Wall Street, it was like Chamber Street. It was like a um, section of, of finance in New York, in Manhattan. And I walk in and there's like this madhouse and there are fans of different teams, but most of them are Browns fans. Wow. And this is the Browns backers of New York City. And it's this really elegant, dark, like beautiful sports bar for rich people but on Sunday, on Sundays, it just gets turned over to football. And we probably had like a big screen and maybe three small ones, which was more than other teams had. And all these Browns fans, like it was like a revelation. So I, I committed, I went there every single Sunday and I met the uh, guy that ran it. And his name was Mark Petraca. And he had been an agent at William Morris. He was kind of a jack of all trades. He was a singer songwriter wrote screenplays to this day. He's still a singer songwriter under the name Dusty Wright. You can um, Google him. He has a lot of really great songs. And, um, and we became friends and he had this really lovely girlfriend named Sylvia who always came along to all the games on Sundays. So we hung out and we would talk about football and, you know, the Browns and eventually sort of got to, to movies. And I, I had tried a couple of screenplays. And he said, well, I've written a couple of screenplays. And we sort of discussed it. And then when the season was over, he said, well, you know, why don't we try to collaborate on something? So my thinking was, even though I considered myself mostly a playwright and a, and a novelist aspiring, I thought, well, you know, if I just agree to write a screenplay with this guy, I know I'll finish another screenplay. And every single one is like a calling card that can get you somewhere in your life. And I get to hang out with a guy that loves the Browns and talk about the Browns. And I get to hang out with his beautiful girlfriend and that'll be fun. So I thought, well, like, why not? You know, what the hell? And, and I had to, and he wasn't going to come to my apartment. So I had to take a bus across town. It's a lot, you know, it was a lot of work, but I decided to do it. So we get, I get there the first day and Mark and I sit down and he's got the phone ringing. He's got all these irons in the fire, you know, and like screenwriting is a very, you really have to mono focus. And, um, he says, well, you know, one thing we could, we're trying to decide what to write. And he goes, why don't you write the life story of this friend of mine who's a bouncer at this club nearby. His name is Charlie, and he's a, he's a bank robber. He was a bank robber. I go, all right. So thank God Charlie was one of the rare times where Charlie was awake before two in the afternoon. He calls Charlie, goes, yeah, I'll come on over. So Charlie walks in the door, and he's an energetic Italian-American guy. He's got this sort of charm and and like a macho version of Tony Danza, you know, tons of energy, tons of sense of humor. <laughs> and he starts telling me these absolutely incredible stories about how he went down to Florida and became a bank robber and was trained by this old Jewish guy who taught him how to rob banks. It ended him up in jail. And I said, well, we got to write this movie. This is a great movie. 
So we start writing and Mark um, gets distracted by a lot of stuff, but we finish it. And when it was over, um, we knew we had a pretty good screenplay. It got us an agent. Next thing I know, um, Charlie wants to write another one, but Mark is too busy. So he and I will do it together. So um, we write another one about his experiences in prison. Charlie goes off, moves to Los Angeles one day. One day he calls me, hey, I got us a manager out here. One wow. day he calls me and goes, hey, we sold the prison movie. Oh, now, wow. we didn't sell it for a lot of money. We actually sold it to the worst producer in Hollywood, a famous guy named Roger Corman, who made 10,000 B-movies and never lost a nickel on any of them because he, he'd sell them to Singapore and the third world, and he made them for no money. But it was just the push I needed, and I sold all my crap. I, I, I was afraid of flying. I, I, I don't like to fly, so I sold a lot of my stuff, shipped a bunch of stuff, and I got on a train and headed for Los Angeles. A week after we sold it, I was, I was gone in a week. So I left behind a decade in New York, all that struggle, and I arrived with a few screenplays, a few unfinished novels, and um, landed here, and that was the beginning of what launched my career. And eventually, I, uh, Charlie and I stopped working together. I, I sold a big script, and, and now... I've had, you know, uh, 12, 13 movies made, published six novels, directed three movies. Um, and all of it began because of this networking. And Mark and I to this day are great friends. Charlie and I are not friends, but Mark and I stayed great friends. Um, and um, I just put one of his daughter's songs in one of my movies. So, like, it's really kind of come full circle. Um, but when I arrived here, the first thing I did was I needed to look for a Browns club. And so there was a Browns backers club that, this is kind of funny, I looked up an old friend of my dad's. My dad, the reason we lived in, in Cleveland was that he was a professor at Case Western Reserve University, which is a very good science pre-med school in Cleveland. My dad taught biology there. One of his friends from Cleveland, all these years later, lived out here. So my parents said, well, you gotta call Emil Davidson because he's, a, he, he's in Hollywood. So I called him and he goes, hey, I watch the Browns every Sunday with a whole group of Browns fans. It wasn't even officially a backers club, I don't think. I think it was just unofficial. So the next thing I know, I'm every Sunday I'm driving to a soul food restaurant up in the valley, in the San Fernando Valley, and there's like 25 of us, and we're the entire restaurant. The owner would just open the door, we'd all watch on satellite, and we'd all eat breakfast and drink it as much coffee and whatever we could, and it was worthwhile <laughs> for him. Right. It was worthwhile for us. And Mar and then I found out that in my neighborhood, there was a Browns backers club that was way closer. And that was one where, where Martin Mull went every Sunday. Oh, wow. Big Browns fan. Chuck Booms. You know who Chuck Booms is? Yeah. Yeah. So Chuck Booms was, was there and I'd sit at their table and, and that was a, a madhouse. Like, again, that was a packed like singles bar. Um, but still, no matter how many, Raiders fans or whatever, there was still the um, there was still the the big contingent of Browns uh, of Browns fans. Um, it was exciting. Um, I remember at one point, for some reason, it was we had the game blacked out or oh maybe because it was in Sandy. No, no, I know what it was. At one point when I lived in New York before there was the Browns backers. Mm -hmm. I found a Watts line. Do you remember what Watts lines were? Mm -mm. They were line, long distance lines that didn't cost anything. 
because a business would buy a Watts line for the entire company. Oh, wow. So they'd okay. pay a big price, but all long distance was free. Oh, so wow. somebody okay. gave me the number of a Watts line and like this long code to get on it. And I, I called a friend of a friend that lived in San Diego and he put the phone on his television and let me listen to Bernie Kosar beat the shit out of the Chargers <laughs> in, like, in like 86. Or, well, you know. um, so that's the, that's the desperation well, I came from. And now I was like a pig in shit. Here I was surrounded by Martin Mull and Chuck Boom and all these rabid fans watching. And then one day, DirecTV came out with the Sunday. And then from that point on, I gave up the camaraderie. And very the first year it was available, I got the satellite and I've been watching at home ever since. It's it's an amazing story just to think about because there's so many things that, you know, like small things in life, like say you never find that club in That's New right. York. Like maybe your career path takes a whole different direction or Say I don't befriend Mark at the club. Correct. Say Mark say Mark say Mark's girlfriend is obnoxious. Oh, one of the fun parts was while I was working with Mark. He and his girlfriend broke up and she and I had become really close. And I was like, wow, they broke up. Two days later, Charlie calls me. Hey, Al, you sitting down? Yeah, I'm sleeping with Sylvia. Charlie. Oh, my the gosh. Robber, the gang, the bank <laughs> robber moved in and got the girl. It was the funny. Oh, OK. And so, here, so now, here, and here now I was like not friends with Charlie anymore. <laughs> that's right. And here I was like the, the tortured, the tortured liberal. I had sat Mark down and said, Mark, I think I have feelings for Sylvia. And he's like, hey, Al, thanks for being honest with me. You know, and here was Charlie didn't even think twice. And he'd known Mark for years. But you're right. All those decisions. And by the way, I could easily have sold that script and just said, you know, um, great. It's it was it was six thousand dollars each. It was the worst producer. He made the movie. And it's terrible. It's he he took a prison movie about the subtle balance of race relations and made it into a kickboxing film called um, called um, Blood Fist Three: Forced to Fight. It was third the third out of six Blood Fist movies. I mean, it was terrible, right? <laughs> but I still used that to make that decision to go out to L.A. If I had not done that, you know, I could easily have not done that. It was insane what I did. So. All of those choices were were just leading me there. And the funny part was I was on the train on my way out and I actually knew what was happening. I said, you know, what I'm doing is insane. I'm leaping into the void, certain I'm going to splat, you know, off the cliff. But I bet you I fly. Like I had read enough Eastern mysticism to know that some of the biggest turning points in life are when you think you're going to die and you don't. And, that you, and and I just knew that, like, I'm doing the right thing, although there's no evidence for it. And it all worked out. Your your story is a screen, could be a screenplay in itself, like a movie. <laughs> like, you could make a movie about some fan in the 80s trying to watch the Browns in the Super Bowl or some team. Like, <laughs> you know, you're, stuff. not a and bad it, point. It, it very, it, it relates very well, because I was, I shared a story uh, with uh, Jason one time, how times have changed that. I once watched uh, Kmart at the, this is Kmart way back in like the nineties used to have satellite TV in their stores. Like when direct TV, they would put yeah. it in their stores and I was in the outer banks and couldn't watch the Browns game. And I spent three hours in a Kmart and I would occasionally like, you know, at the end of the quarter, I'd leave the section and come back. At least really? <laughs> what did you do? If, what did you do if they didn't tune to the Browns? Would you just ask them to put the Browns on? 
I, I, I just had the, they turned on the TV. Like, I don't even remember how it happened. Like, they had the games on, and the Browns were on one of the TVs. And every once in a while, they'd come up like, hey, is there something we can help you with? And by the end, I never, I don't think I ever told Jason's. I think I bought like $60 worth of CDs because every time, <laughs> every time I'd walk away, I'd, I'd look at CDs. And I was like, I, I felt like if I'd been here for three hours, I need to buy something, right? One of my, I think you're stealing. Yeah. One of my happiest sports memories, which is a little bit of a tangent, was standing outside on a dark, rainy night and watching the sixth game of the Mets, the famous sixth game that where, you know, there was two outs and just, hit after hit after hit. Um, why am I blanking? Oh, against the Astros, against the Houston Astros, there was this famous series that got the Mets into the into the World Series that they won, but it was the championship game. And they were... 86? Yes, and it was two outs, two strikes, over and over. Mookie Wilson between the guy's legs. you know. And I sat but watching with a bunch of New Yorkers at a closed store, but the TVs were all playing. And we all sat there together and watched that miracle. It was just incredible. Yeah, it's a great, it's a fun thing. That I remember a lot of times walking into a sports bar and like on vacation and you just go and you just pray. You say, would you mind, would you please put on the Browns game? You know, and they often would because we were demented and passionate about it. <laughs> all this is bringing, all three of us have something in common. We, we're all Browns fans and we, our fandom has been spent outside of the Cleveland market. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I'm with you, Allison. You know, I, I showed you this publication i used to subscribe to this when i was in high school Mm -hmm. um i I would read that i think it did come out once a week i I would read the sports page you know check all the scores and at night you'd watch the news and just try to see a glimpse of a highlight of a browns game Mm -hmm. um it's really remarkable you know when when browns backers comes out i mean it's been out for a while but then satellite and you can see a game now you can stream it it's it's really incredible oh, where it's I, gone but back know, then it just wasn't easy on your phone these kids don't realize how great you have it. <laughs> i mean it's yeah. on your phone I, I remember sitting there watching an indians game like while my kid was at soccer practice and i thought this is insane i'm looking at this phone like they don't realize how credible it is and the whole time i've been a fan i have only missed one game that i could have seen and yeah. it was in L.A., and they were playing the Raiders. And this, like, beautiful, belligerent actress had had agreed to cook dinner for, like, eight people. And my friends, like, I'll tell you whose house it was. Do you watch um, The Office? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the actor Andy Buckley who plays, oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. He plays the boss's boss. You know the guy that's like Steve Carell's boss. Yeah. Yes. The one, the guy the that, one the, the, the wears, he wears the glasses. Uh, he the yeah he ends up going kind of crazy and they see him playing drums and he grows a beard and he yeah. kind of loses his mind. Right. Yes. That guy's name is Andy Buckley. And yeah, he comes back later on and then yes, he buys does. the company again. Yes, <laughs> and he's a dear old friend of mine. And he and those days he was living like in his parents' mansion. And they weren't in town, and we had this swing and dinner party with four girls and four guys, and it was really great. And this gorgeous actress says she'll cook, and then she goes, "You think you're going to the Browns game while I'm cooking? Get go to hell! You're staying with." And she like bullied me, and to this day I still have the unripped ticket to that game, and uh, and that day uh, Metcalf had four touchdowns. <laughs> My dad was at that game. Really? <laughs> yes. It was uh they, they they actually he went with the Browns backers, the Southern California Browns backers, and they rented out SeaWorld after that. 
but he was God. at the game. He was at the uh, right behind the goal post, and they kicked an extra point right to him, and everybody oh my God. lost his hat. Yeah, that, in incredible. My whole, in my whole life, I've seen. I saw one game in all in New York, and that was against the Jets. And Metcalf ran back. I think it was Metcalf ran back a touchdown like right toward on the opening kickoff of the game. But I think we may have lost the game. I'm not sure, but I know that he did. And then I didn't see another one for years, years and years. And then recently my girlfriend paid, uh, bought me a really good ticket for her and me for my birthday last year. And I saw the horrible Cardinals game, um, which was sad also because we had so much hope. I mean, things were going well and, um, we just didn't expect to lose that game. Well, actually, it was, I'm sorry, it was, it was the year before. It was, it was 2019. Two years ago. It was the year when we were things were looking up, and then we lost that game, and it was terrible. Um, and then this year, I went to SoFi and saw the incredible Chargers game. Oh, that was a great game. Uh, and, and that was um, – we had amazing seats. It was just an incredible game. And even though we lost, I just walked out so kind of – overwhelmed and blown away by the stadium and what I had just seen because we scored and scored and scored. We just didn't have a defense yet. Wow. Um, so, so now that I've told my uh, circuitous tale, can I ventilate for a few minutes about the uh, Baker Mayfield controversy? Because I really want to sure. say to your, to your viewership, okay? Because I'm an old, old dude. I've seen a lot. <clears throat> Football is a team sport. Anytime you say Baker Mayfield lost to so-and-so, most of the time you're full of crap. I know that great quarterbacks, you know, you take Tom Brady and you put him on a, on a mediocre team where he's being swarmed and beaten up like Tom Tim Couch did, and you tell me how many times he beats those teams, all right? So, but of course a good quarterback is transformative. We saw that in the first game Baker ever played. The Jets were beating our ass, right? He came mm-hmm. in and turned it around, right? So, yes. But if you asked, if you say to him, God, I can't believe Baker Mayfield lost to the, to the Steelers the first game. You ask Jarvis Landry if Baker Mayfield lost to the Steelers. Because believe me, he thinks he lost to them because he fumbled on the winning drive and left right. the ball, right? And if you talk to the guy that was blocking the guy that hit Baker's feet as he was throwing um, to try to come, back, to come back and, and to kind of come back in that game, um, which was the game where, oh, the car, uh, Kansas, City. Kansas, City. Yeah, Kansas City, right? Right. So, and, it, and, and if you talk, talk, if you talk to the guy, if you talk to DPJ, who has the ball coming to him and, and the guy grabs his jersey and yanks him back and takes the ball and they walk away and go, oh, Baker, man, that interception, like blatant penalty. I'm not saying that he did not have a terrible year. And if, if anything, he could be faulted for. It's that he is such a competitor that he could ne- not necessarily be trusted to know if he had the physical ability to win some of those games with his shoulder. But you can't ask the player to make that call. It's like asking a child or a teenager to have to put restrictions on their own diet or something. Like th- right. That really is the coach's fault. And it's not Baker's fault that he was sacked over and over and over in that in that Steelers game. That's on Stefanski. That's on uh, on and that's on the blocker and on the injuries and on the fact that that JJ Watt was terrorizing him. Um, so 
I think it's complicated, but how anyone can look at Baker and look what he set the rookie passing record. Look what he did last year. Look what he did in flashes this year until he got injured. And look at all that and waste time and energy and spirit and sit there and run him down and all this mindless, is he elite, is he elite? It's all a bunch of crap. Like, he's the guy we have. He's the guy that loves the city. He's the guy that's killing for us. And we know he has the talent. Like, I just think that the negativity, they think it probably doesn't have a lot of consequences, but it creates a culture where the guy goes, you know what, fuck this town. You know, yeah, it, it wore out Couch. It wore out a lot of these guys. It it had, what's his name, you know, uh, Couch was what, crying by the end. Like, it, it wears everybody out. It's a terrible thing. And now Twitter makes it writ large. So, like, I, I love my, I have a whole Browns account that is just, um, a Twitter account that's just for the Browns. I, when, when we oh, connected, oh, oh. it was through my other account. But I have oh, okay. one that's Cleve Freak, and it's just Cleveland Sports. And I block, block, block. I swear to God, I block 10 people. I block people I don't follow. I don't <laughs> want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. I don't want any of that polluting my Monday mornings or my week listening to this crap. You know, that's how I feel. I'm pretty, obviously, pretty upset about it. You bring up a good point when you're talking about, like, the transcendent player. I don't think I don't there's think anyone that, that wouldn't argue that Justin Herbert right now is probably considered a top five maybe top four elite level quarterback in two years. He's been amazing. They haven't made the playoffs yet. Like, and he's had some games. He's had games where if Baker did what he did. They would run him out of town on a stick. Kyler Murray, these guys that were, they were elite, elite, elite. But if the system breaks down, if the system isn't working, it doesn't matter what your arm is like. It doesn't matter. It, there's so many variables, so many moving parts. Are you, are you, you know, are, what happens in the crunch? How, how do you make decisions? Some quarterbacks have a self-destruct mechanism. Testaverde had as good an arm as anyone in the world, and he would constantly throw interceptions at the key moment when he had to be great. Something in him self-destructed, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Herbert's record was nothing to get excited about right yeah we see what's great about him we all see it you know um but i also see what's incredible about baker unbelievable accuracy not throwing interceptions not doing the things that happened a lot this year because he was constantly harassed because he couldn't turn his body he couldn't run the way and he still gave us everything he had and laid it right there on the field for us if he was going to be taken out it should have been stefanski's call that's what i think yeah, that's, that was on the on the coach to make that decision. Like I, I felt like the the opportune time was when he didn't play a game. Like that would have been the opportune time to say, "Hey, we're going to sit you, you know, for a few weeks, weeks and see what and happens." See how it goes, knowing that you could always put him back in if if in, in, at halftime they could. They, I mean, I thought they honestly could have benched Baker at the halftime of the Steelers game. Besides, and I thought he was good. I thought he was okay up until like. The initial shoulder injury, it was after the Arizona game, it seems like, when it really fell off the face of the earth. Well, he had two injuries, right? He had one that hampered him, but he was still doing some great stuff. And then the other one really fucked him. And then it felt the broken, like... The broken, yeah. when he broke the shoulder. I think that was the off. Arizona game, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, was the first he, one was Houston. He landed, because he landed really awkwardly, like flat, to where yeah. like, it almost looked like he hyperextended it. But that's when he broke the, the shoulder or... 
broke the shoulder here. And with all of that, he still came back and had that great game against the Bengals. It wasn't like, you know, and our defense really stepped up and finally gelled. Can you imagine if we'd had that defense? We knew, we all knew we were going to have that defense. I think we all felt that with, I mean, God, Delpit just blew me away. Like, and oh, Walker started playing like a maniac. Like, everybody got better. Um if we had had that, we, we could have we would easily have won the Chargers in the Chiefs game. Those were we were just trading touchdowns. Remember in the Chargers game, they had two touchdowns where the guy that caught the ball wasn't even covered. He was alone. I was I saw it live. It was horrific. No. <laughs> well, well, Joe Wood did did something that I criticize a lot of coaches for not doing. I criticized him early on in the season for he wasn't adjusting to the skills of his players, and I was like, yes, you are comfortable calling zone. Zone defense. That's what you're comfortable with calling what you know. But that's not the skill player that you have. You have players that can play in coverage. And he that, that's what Belichick does better than anyone. He builds a system around the talents of his people. He also tries to plug in the right talent into the system he wants. There's a system he wants. But if he doesn't have those people, he makes shifts and adjustments. And it's like a good family. Like a good family should adjust to the peculiarities and the personalities and the limitations of the children and adapt to those kids. Bad families, they just set up a system and if you don't, if you don't get, get with it, you get criticized. You feel terrible about yourself, right? And I think you're right. I think he does that a lot. And there were a lot of times where he let quarterbacks be way too comfortable. There was like almost no blitzing. It was driving everybody mm-hmm. crazy. Like just letting quarterbacks sit back there. Because despite what we thought, like we didn't have the dominant – uh, we don't have four guys that could really consistently pressure like the Rams do. Like certain teams, they can send four guys, and it's really dangerous. We, we don't have that on a consistent. We had the worst uh, tackles in the – you saw the numbers that came out from Pro Football yeah. Focus. Like our tackles were at the bottom. Yeah, um, the tackle and, was, was a weak, yeah. weak spot. I mean, yeah. the, the ends probably carried the tackles. Yeah. Because a lot of people will say, well – well, we didn't give up the ball. You know, we didn't give up a ton of rushing yards. I'm like, well, there's there's more to it. Like, there's also pressure. Like, we weren't generating pressure up the middle. All our pressure was coming. And that's up. why they had huge passing games. Because mm-hmm. the, the quarterbacks often just sat back there and picked us apart, you know? I mean, I think we, I think we, I think given all of the injuries, the COVID, I mean, so these critics that were crapping on Baker the last two weeks, it's literally like the COVID stuff didn't happen. Like, they're like, I've heard people say, how did we lose to these rates? I mean, the Raiders beat everybody at the end of the year, and we played them with 18 people missing and almost won the game. Mm-hmm. They went into Dallas on Thanksgiving and beat the Cowboys. Like, And at that time, the Cowboys were hot. Yeah. And they kind of they finished kind of stumbling at the end. and um, But it was a miracle. It's a miracle we did as well as we did, honestly. It wasn't like we were, like, you know, just – blundering around like and by the way our receivers are really really mediocre I mean, let's be honest i love landry landry was injured and had some trouble when landry's healthy i love that guy to me he's like heinz ward i love him there's nothing i don't love about his game um but then you said and dpj has the sky's the limit where he could go you know he still is he, he has a lot of speed he doesn't have a lot of quickness but he's a big he's big he's strong i love i, I love him but again he's developing schwartz was not ready for at all <laughs> Schwartz wasn't even, he wasn't even inconsistent. He didn't have anything. He belonged on the practice squad. So we didn't really have, and then, and then of course, Hooper, you know, sometimes reliable, other times dropping them all over the place. And, you know, and then, uh, you know, we all think the the world of, um, of uh, Najoku, we all think the world of him, but, you know, he, he, he's slow off the line. 
he he gathers speed, but he's not like a meat quick. And, um, you know, he has to be used in a very specific way. It's not like he's not one of those tight ends that goes in and breaks big tackles and just is gone and off to the races. None right. of our it, tight ends are like that. He's not a George Kittle type or a no uh, way. Kelsey a Hawkinson or a Kelsey. No Kelsey. Right. That's what we need. I we know. Need some, we need a, a tight end like that. Like you know? A guy that catches with speed and breaks tackles and is gone. I think yeah. Harrison Bryant has the ability to be that type of player, but I, I feel like his blocking is not – he's not an elite blocker right now. And in Stefanski's offense, he focuses so much on blocking. That's why Hooper plays so much because Hooper really – I mean, I I give Hooper crap for as many drops as he had, and he's always falling down, but he's, he's an elite blocker. Blocking. Yeah, it's, it matters, and I just wish he weren't so damn expensive because it would be great to have him as like a, 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 the, the tight end that they're not thinking about because there's another tight end they're more worried about, you know. And then, but but because when he gets on a consistent roll, his hands are nice. But the, you you blow you blow on that guy, he just falls over. He has no balance, you know. Yeah. He falls quickly. <laughs> He's falling down. I yeah, I think in the offseason, like I said, the, the receiver room is going to get overall. The problem is Landry is a great number two. He's but he's having been having to play as a as a number one. Right. And and everybody talked about last night, you know, Twitter was going crazy because OBJ had a, a good game. I mean, what he, what he ended up his stat line at the end was five catches, fifty-four yards. And he's playing he's very pedestrian. Like and he's getting single coverage as no, the number three or four receiver. They have great receivers. They have barn burners. So he's back there getting single coverage. He had double coverage with us. They right. treated him like a superstar. Well, you got Cooper Cup on the other side. Like yeah, you got to Cup, the guy. That they're, <laughs> they're Jefferson, what's his name? Jefferson. Yeah, you mean Van Jefferson is the yeah. deep threat. Uh, I mean, when they had Robert Woods, like I know, serious. Like, he's he's pretty much like his stats are very similar. Like other than he just has more touchdowns. But like, we just didn't use him that much in the end zone for the simple reason that Harrison Bryant's great in the end zone and Joku's great in the end zone, and we have other people that can catch the. We used our tight ends for those short touchdowns usually. And we had Chubb and Hunt, and we had Chubb and Hunt. <laughs> Um, by the way, another thing, like, you know, you lose Hunt and they act like it's like it's a team sport. It's not Baker Mayfield against the world. And it's just such an ignorant way to view the game and to and to just heap abuse on a guy that's injured. I mean, it's, you know, and they're like, OK, well, we'll give him one more year and we'll see. It's like, yeah. you know, it's just craziness. People don't understand about Hunt. Hunt is such an elite level pass blocker as a running back. And he is special at picking up and calling out blitzes and he's oh. really dynamic in the screen game also where huge as great as i, I love that dearness johnson but he's love more him. of a pure runner as opposed to like a, a catching passes out of the back i hope dearness just works on his catching i hope he works on his receiving in the off season because he That's has some he needs. beautiful moves that guy is so dynamic I, I i'm so sad that we're going to lose him because he would just be such an asset especially with hunt running the way he does hunt is going to get injured Flings his body around like almost insanely. I'm excited about Felton too to see what he can do. That, that he showed some sparks. I mean, especially another player that probably didn't. You know, you don't expect to contribute a lot. You know, as a six round pick, um, just like DPJ was. Um, but like we had, um, you know, we we had a guest on last week and talked about. You know, maybe this was a the whole time was a three year plan for. Uh, AB and Stefanski, you know, I think what happened was the year we had this year was probably meant to be more year one. And the year we had year one was probably more meant to be year two. So like, I think if you reverse it, 
people are probably excited. Their expectations were over the moon, but they, who expected who expected the, the, the ravagement of COVID plus the, the injuries? Just so, I mean, every team has them. I get it, but I don't think we really had the depth to support that level of hell. And, um, and you know, the one thing that, that I would love to see, I mean, if I were drafting, I would want to get tackles, defensive tackles, um, uh, wide receiver, a, gr- a, a great wide receiver or two, or a great wide receiver and a great tight end, the best we can get. And um, I really think special teams are just, we don't have anybody that can run a kick back. Like, you know, the second someone grabs a kick, you know if they have that instinct to, mm-hmm. to take the ball and make one strong cut, one strong decision. You see the way they just, they tiptoe, they're scared. They're, it's terrible. The only thing I can say is they didn't fumble too much, but that was about it. We're, we've been spoiled with uh, Josh Cribbs. We, we, we oh, want to see about, the recreation of Josh Cribbs. Oh, how about, think about, think about our tradition. I mean, our tradition is literally Leroy Kelly, Greg Pruitt, Metcalf. I mean, we had the greatest return. Oh, I bet I bet it's probably one of the finest in the history of the sport because if you look at the touchdowns that Cribs had and Metcalf had, that was two great. And Leroy Kelly was one of the best. In fact, on the first Monday night game ever played, was his name Homer Jones, I think? On the very first game ever played on Monday night football, he ran it back. We Our guy ran it back for a touchdown. You know? Yeah. I mean, we had... A, a, we had Dino Hall. We had the Cube. All of these guys were thrilling. You never knew what was going to happen. It was so great. And now we're just terrible. And then, of course, we had to, we had Cockroft and we had um, uh, Dawson. And now we've got terrible kicking too, or inconsistent kicking. Yeah, kicking has been a uh, <laughs> think, Just think no. about this. Fine. Just take Justin Tucker. Put him on the Browns. We make. The we're playoffs. in the playoffs. We're in, the playoffs. in the playoffs. We're in the playoffs. One player. Now you tell me how it's a, it's a quarterback sport. If one player swapped in gets you into the playoffs. I yeah, think all we, three phases have to be solid. You don't have to be elite in all three phases, but they do. They have to be solid. Right. One of those. Uh, one of those can completely re- re- tarnish your season. Oh yeah. I mean, imagine Baker could have been exactly as messed up as he was with all the injuries, all the COVID, all of that, and we still could have made the playoff if we just had an, like an automatic kicker. Yeah, it takes the, it takes, I mean, it takes the uh, having to go for it on fourth down in certain situations out of the, yeah. out of the equation. Missed extra um, points, you know, crazy games that were, I mean, one of the final ones that we played, wasn't it the Raiders game we would have won if we, if we made our kicks? Yeah, McLaughlin missed a, missed a field goal where they, he made the first one and they called the uh, he missed the second oh, one. God, because they called a timeout. They, yeah, mm-hmm. they they froze him. Yeah. Oh, Special teams is weird though, especially like kick and punt returners these days because the, they've changed the rules so much and like how you can block. Like it's way you know, harder. The whole crack, the whole the whole thing that they call the the crack back blocking, where you can't block from the side anymore. You can't like you can only block from the front, and they're very. Not very and generous so many penalties called on kicks now, and those penalties are so. I mean, by the way, another thing: how about if you just cut in half our pre-snap penalties? Oh, well, that's, those are how, how would that have affected? Would that have made Baker more elite? I mean, seriously, when you think about the number of times he began first and fifteen, 
You know, that's why it's so ignorant to, to put it all on one guy's shoulders. You know, yeah, Brady is a god. And look at look at the time that guy has to throw. Look at the tradition of of, of Belichick teams that were not that were top notch in terms of penalties with with strong defenses, like so much support for those guys. That's why Ben Roethlisberger came in as a rookie. Didn't he go to the Super Bowl as a rookie or the play? Uh, wasn't he fifteen? They went to the AFC Championship as rookie. He won his first fourteen or fifteen games. Yeah. I mean, walked, walked, yeah. he walked. I mean, it wasn't because Roethlisberger was Patriots, the greatest quarterback yeah. in the world. The it's what he walked into. It makes a giant difference. He walked into a mach- machinery. You know. I mean, you, you just look at it. I mean, uh, the pre-snap penalties were killer. I mean, people talk about Brady. Like, Brady was very calculated about where he went. Like, when he looked at Tampa Bay, he saw they had uh, – Oh, yeah. He, he knew he could get Gronkowski to come with him. He, they saw that they had Mike Evans and and uh, Chris Godwin, who were two really good receivers. No doubt. He knew they had a, a cornerstone left tackle already. And he knew – he probably, when he talked to them, they said, you know, like, what are your, what are your draft plans? And they were like – this is a tackle heavy draft. We're going to go right tackle in the first round. So he's looking at it, he's like, I'm going to have two bookend tackles. You have two good guards and a good center. And a strong like, defense already. Player. Like, and their defense was good. Their defense was already good. So I'm like, he's. And it's much. Florida. Yeah. And it's, you're <laughs> playing in Tampa. You're not playing New England anymore. And like, look what, and look what happened the year that Brady got injured. He didn't go to uh, Jacksonville. <laughs> they, they brought, who did they bring? Was it Matt Castle? Matt Castle. Yeah. Right. And what did he go? Like 10, 10 and 6. 10 and 6. Yeah. They almost made the playoffs. They were and then what and happened six. after he left? He was a bum. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened, right? So, again, it's so much about the system and the way the system is married to the quarterback skills. And, you know, it's so much more complicated than people want to make it. And that's what makes football such a great game. And believe me, you know, there were times where I would think Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy, maybe he can do this. And then there'd be a game or two. I go, you know what? He just isn't. He's just a backup. And and I just yeah. knew that he wasn't the guy, right? But I have never had that feeling about Baker. Mm-hmm. He threw some throws this year early before he got injured that were the most pinpoint beautiful things. I remember Collinsworth going, look at that throw. Oh, my God. Such precision and such and such wisdom about taking care of the ball last season. Like, he was so smart about, what was it, eight interceptions last year or something? I mean, so yeah, very, yeah. I, mean, I mean, the last stretch, the last eight games, was it 20 to 1? Yeah. He was insane. He was top I mean, how five. How can anyone not top see five that quarterback? The, the the back half, the last eight games of last year. Yeah, it was crazy. And I mean, the, the the Browns had a lot of things going on this year, right? I mean, Baker didn't play well. He was injured. Um, you know, we lost Kareem Hunt for some games. Nick Chubb for some games. You know, OBJ walked out the door. Our, our defense was suspect the first half of the year. They came on the second, the second part of the year. We had a lot going on. It, had, it, it takes, had, like you said, bad. Allison, yeah, it takes dropped. a whole team yes. to win, to win. It takes it a villain. And we had bad kicking right when it mattered. And we had lots of drops from receivers in certain games. They would just be dropping all over the place. And they go, look at Baker's numbers. Like they'd see the drops, but then they'd be on Twitter 20 minutes after the game saying, look at Baker was only, you know, 10 for 21. He stinks. It was just crazy. But, I mean, some people think it's all about his people's just instinctive dislike of him because of Ohio State and, you know, planting the flag and all that weird stuff. And, I mean, I have no – I only – I was suspect about Baker because I was scared. I didn't want another Johnny Manziel. I didn't want another undersized. Right. And then I watched that series he did, that reality show that he did about himself. <laughs> did you watch that? Uh, Baker Mayfield? Yeah. Yes. And I was absolutely blown away. And I, I fell in love after that. I did. 
I did. I said, that guy is a winner and his brain and, and you know, quarterbacking starts here. And I, I was, I was on board. I knew he was going to be something. And when he came in that first game against the jets, that was so friggin' thrilling. I ended a friendship that night. I had a friend who was sort of an, <laughs> I had like one of those friends we all have who was sort of an asshole. And, and I just stayed friends with him for years and he was a jock and he was a jets fan. And he's the kind of guy that like, you know, when his team beats you, he calls and says stupid shit about it, even in baseball. And you're like, why are you doing this? Tomorrow we're going to beat you. Like, why are you, you know? Um, and we would beat the Yankees 24 to 2 that one time or whatever it was. I didn't call him, you know, I didn't, yeah. you know, it's stupid. But anyway, so the Jets are beating us. And that night he calls and starts laughing. Your boy, your big savior. Isaiah Crowell's wiping his butt with the football in the end zone. Yeah. He's like making fun of us, of the Jets. And uh, and then I, I just said, you know, go to hell. I hung up. The Baker came in, killed them. And when the game was over, I went and I ghosted the front. I just literally cut him off of everything. I've never spoken to him since. I'd had enough. Really? I'd had enough. Like it was a breaking point. Like he'd been doing it to me for years. And there were other reasons. It was more than that. Yeah. But that night I said, you know what? And I just let Baker do it for me, like to tell him to go to hell. Uh, <laughs> God. We're just so blessed to have to have this new culture. We really are to have a new coach and a new just a new team. It just we have such a bright future. Yeah, I just I think people were just uh, and and I don't and I don't know like people are just like oh this is a Super Bowl roster and I'm like if you start breaking it down and thinking about you looking at other teams I'm like you look at the, our receiver room and, and our skill players with other skill players like I think it was a I think we were never a Super Bowl team. I think everyone thought OBJ could be elite, and OBJ probably still maybe could be elite. But that he's he's getting on the plus side of his age too. He's coming off a major injury. He's frail. There's a big there's a big factor. Like, but and by the way, no one expected Higgins to be a non-entity. No. Higgins was he an disappeared. Part, he was an important part of this team, and he was nothing. And no one expected OBJ to be. This, I mean, he was. I mean, he dropped two first downs in that in that game. Oh, I forgot which one it was. He where everybody was dropping. Like he dropped the key fourth down pass, five yards in his chest. He killed us in that game. I think he's just a mental. Uh, he he was just mentally checked out. He he never really wanted to be here. Like like after he left, it's funny how these stories come out. I'm like, well, the writing was on the wall. Like if I saw what he was doing, like I would have knew. Like. When anytime he could fly back to LA, he was flying back to LA, like on off days. I'm like, anyone that gets on a red eye to fly to LA for less than 24 hours or maybe Crazy. a day or two, like, like that's and, that's and the, how about Hollywood Higgins yeah. liking liking OBJ's dad's thing? Like, you know, the Higgins has some sort of mentality. I'm surprised he, I, I can't imagine he's going to last unless he has another one of his. You know he's got he's a head case and he's got real talent and strong hands. He's one of our most reliable receivers. I, I don't know what his problem is. They've never revealed it. You know um, what? What do you think? Are the he's a terrible blocker. That's that's. But he also fell out of favor with what three head coaches now? Like, yes, OBJ's actually a good blocker. I'm always impressed when I see him downfield blocking. Yeah, he's a good blocker. You know, and Kareem Hunt's a good blocker. And I mean, there's some great, some players that really give a shit. DPJ is a great blocker too. Higgins is Higgins' problem is he's he's a good route runner and and he's got good hands. He doesn't create a lot of separation because he's not a true he's not a burner at all. But but he's just a terrible blocker and I think he falls out of favor like that. And he doesn't offer you anything on special teams either. 
Um, and I, it looks like Stefanski's big on like guys that can are versatile and play multiple roles. That's why like they have a guy that was a proven special teams kick returner and punt returner, Jojo Natson, but he doesn't give you much as a receiver. We already have you. I was amazed to see Travis Benjamin still in the league. I did not know he was still playing and still contributing. <laughs> Till the other, and then they have uh, Alex Mack as their center too. Yeah. <laughs> The old Kyle Shanahan. Did, didn't he get a hands through the face penalty against them last night? Yes. Yeah. And Austin Corbett. We still have those guys. Austin Corbett. Still yeah, Austin, Austin Corbett was a guy that probably Dorsey gave up on, like, real too too quick. Like, he made – there were some mistakes were made. Like, you got to give those guys into the – well, uh, Buffalo still has um, their safety, our safety. Jordan Poyer. Yeah. He's doing a, a really good safety. Yeah. We had so a lot of good players that we let go. It was that was the worst part about the dysfunctional thing is that you lose, the, you hold on to crap, and you lose the good guys. It happens a lot. The good guys want to get get away as fast. Hey, as we we let a Mitchell Schwartz go over uh, basically a million dollars difference. Like, and how about Shanahan just like saying like, "Let me out of my contract." Like he just mm-hmm. he turned our whole offense around overnight, revamped the whole thing, did great, saw what was going on, and said. Please, I'm out. I'm out of here. Yeah. Now he's yeah, that, like when they forced Manziel on him. That was that was kind of that was it for him. I I yeah. tell you, I was so sad when we drafted Manziel. I, I I'm not always prophetic, but I called that one. I said I know what's going to happen. He's going to undermine Hoyer. The fans are going to start clamoring for him, and then he's going to come in and embarrass us. Now, before he came in, the whole country was like enjoying the sports establishment was enjoying all the hype on him. And then he came and I said, he's going to make us, it's going to be another chapter in our, our municipal embarrassment. And it got, it was one of the worst ever. Yeah. He, he could have, I mean, no telling if Manziel ever would have been a success anywhere else, but I knew here he was, I was like, this is not the culture for him to come into. Like there's a few teams where it's like, they need to go somewhere. Like maybe if he went to new England, his career is different, but I guess we'll never know. But, um, it was also as fun was what's his name when we had our great uh, our great running back who gave us a, a glimmer of hope. You know what's his name? Our our Tim Tebow guy. Um, um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Peyton Hillis. Oh, yeah, Peyton Hillis. Yeah. Wasn't that a wild blip, man? Oh man, it was so exciting. Cover Madden and then held out, just running over everybody. The White Rhino. Crazy. He was awesome that year. Like, oh yeah. god, how many yards Wait. did he have that year? Like four, like. 1400 or something insane 1400 or something i think was and then of course the josh gordon thing was another chapter of oh my god your embarrassment i mean that guy truly had got the god-given to potential to be one of the greatest receivers in history truly with his speed and size and hands like the sky was the limit imagine winning the receiving um crown and i think he missed four games that season Played twelve games and won the receiving title. That's unbelievable. Didn't he have two hundred yards receiving two games what? in a row? Yeah, yeah never, it was one never been done. Detroit yeah. and against Jacksonville, wasn't it? Never done before or since. His jersey went to the Hall of Fame because I, I saw it there. Yeah, it incredible. <laughs> the reason I know that is he was on. He happened to be on my fantasy team that oh, season. Oh God, he went. <laughs> you and, uh, He went nuts against Jacksonville, and there was I think it was Detroit was the other team. At the time, it looked like the tragedy was that he threw away all that glory just for pot. But then he eventually confessed that he was doing a ton of coke, too. Yeah, he was. 
He was lying. He was doing all sorts of stuff. He was lying and, and lying. He's still playing with Kansas City, but he's really like you don't even notice him out there. Like you never know though. You never know when he'll crop up. He could he could catch the game winning T D pass. Right. Who knows? Right. Um, I, we have a, a fun segment. We and we have to wrap things up because uh, we're up against it. But the Yard Dogs podcast mailbag. We have a couple of questions for you, Allison. So uh, we're hoping that you can answer them for us. At Casey underscore Kinneman, he's a fan of the show. He asks, which Browns rookie do you expect to make the biggest jump in year two? Um, boy. I mean, obviously JOK, but he's so great already i think ta- i think maybe uh greg newsom mm-hmm. so i mean i think he's already terrific but there are plays where he doesn't get his head around mm-hmm. and there are, he's he's had a few i think he's had a few uh interferences i think the sky's the limit now, i'm biased i went to northwestern but he is a one smart talented guy i think he's gonna i think he could go to the pro bowl next year i really do but i think jok is Fabulous. He and Delpit blow me away. Oh. I mean, Delpit might as well be a rookie, right? Exactly. Um, is yeah. Greedy? Remind me. Is Greedy Williams? Was he? Uh, was, was he a rookie or an injured second-year player? Uh, this was his third season. Third. I, think he, got, he, I feel like he's never. Why do I feel like he's? This was his first real season. Did he get injured a lot? Yeah, he got. Well, he played a little bit his first season, and then he missed pretty much all of last year with yeah, that, that's nerve, that nerve injury. Right, right, right. The um, nerve injury. Um, so but he wasn't was, even sure he's going to come back, really. Yeah, that was exciting. I mean, really, to see that Delpit the, in that last game, I couldn't. But last two games, like he was flying around and he was hit. And how about C.J. Stewart? It's been a long time since we've had a guy that really lays one on like he does. Like the remember yeah. the, the first great boot hitter of my lifetime, which is probably before your time, was Tom Darden. Do you remember him? I do not. Tom Darden was a safety. He had ten interceptions one year. Oh wow! Really, really talented. He was in the Brian Sipe years. Okay. But that guy laid it on, man. He wasn't even that big. He really knew how to hit. And then, um, and then of course we had Eric Turner, was a great hitter. Um, and who was? And then the and Don Rogers would have been, but he died so quickly. But Don Rogers. But we haven't really had like a thumper. And and CJ Stewart, he really is that his name? CJ, right? MJ, 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 right, right. And AC Green, yeah, okay. Um, Stewart really lays it on, man. He really does. It's kind of exciting to see that. You know, it's yeah, I like him. I like him a lot in in playing that middle of the field position. I think like when they tried to put him on the outside last year, he struggled. That's I don't yeah. think that's his skill. Um, he's good at playing like almost like a hybrid. Uh, linebacker safety position, that rover position, and and moving into the slot like that's that's really where he excels. Yeah. But when he hits, that he, he can lay it on him. He lays it on him. The running backs, he really lets him have it. There was also a safety we had named Thane Gash. Do you remember oh, Thane? Yeah. Gash? I remember yeah. Thane. That's a great. That's almost as good as Fair Hooker. Yeah, that was who was a receiver in the, back in the early in the seventies. Fair Hooker was one of the great names. Yeah, we had, we've had some good receiver names: yeah. Muhammad Masakwa and. Uh, Darren, Darren Chivarini. <laughs> now, see, when people, I'm going to say, when people um, talk about the Steelers, what I remember that a lot of people don't remember is that every single year the Steelers led the league in unnecessary roughness calls, and they were brutal. And in those days, before the pre the concussion stuff, the announcers just enabled it. They'd oh, say, yeah. "Well, they they kind of praised it." And do you remember they left Colt McCoy? practically like concussed at the end of a game that we were about to win 
they James Harrison, I believe, laid they laid out um, cribs. I thought he was fucking dead. He was like, remember, he was like palsy, yeah. and I mean, horrible, horrible, dirty hits. And I remember that culture. The Ravens had a bit of that culture too, but the Steelers had it way worse. They were mm-hmm. dirty, and and you know, even what's his face, uh, you know, our favorite receiver that took and off his shirt. Around. Yeah, like he pushed off. Like in the face. That guy would push off on every play. Not they were like never. It was never called. Like they were the anointed ones, and that's one reason we loathe them. And I have to say, watching Ben um, lay an egg in that, I, I thought you know this is better that he made the playoffs, <laughs> so the whole world got to see him suck <laughs> and, and yeah. end the game on the four yard line. I was, you know, do you know the German word Schadenfreude? It means that weird feeling of pleasure you get at the pain of others. Yeah. Um, like I was feeling so much of that watching him. And I came up with a good one liner. I don't have the courage to tweet it. But the thing is, you know, I got to say one thing for Ben. He's a really fierce competitor. He competes with Bill Cosby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's my, that's how I feel about his view of women and his the way he treats women. Um, oh, yeah. But I'm happy to be never have to see that guy's face again. I'll share a story. So somebody I know uh, used to work in private security with the Steelers and said of all the athletes they ever worked with and dealt with, he was by far the worst and the least liked in the locker room. Doesn't surprise That's why you didn't see a lot of former players. You didn't see a ton of former players showing up for him. Doesn't surprise me at all. There's a reason behind that. Right. And these guys that take a bullet for Baker, a ton of them just love him. The best players love Baker. So I think that's great to hear. Um, What's some other questions? I have one more question. At Backseat GM1 asks, what is Allison's passion outside of writing and directing? And what is the prerequisite to being on a podcast? So I guess you'd answer the first part. Oh, the first, the, if you're on a podcast, you have to reach out. Um, yeah, there you um, go. Well, That's it. You can't really see it. And my room is a little bit messy right now. But if you kind of look at this, and let me see if I can do this. See, see those shelves and those binders? Yeah. Uh-huh. Those binders are filled. And on the floor, those boxes, they're all filled with, let me see if this, see all this stuff? Uh-huh. It's all historical paper. I collect ephemera. I collect history as told through photographs, leaflets, brochures, anything okay. paper related. Um, and each binder is a different subject. So I have lots of stuff about like labor history or I have World War II and I have one called sports and it has Otto Graham's autograph and it has things that I just pick up. And I, I don't buy like expensive things from auctions pretty rarely. Usually what I do is I find things on eBay or I go to swap meets and flea markets and, and or estate sales. Wow. Um, so that's, my, that's my passion outside of Hollywood and writing. And as I get older, it's harder to have a Hollywood career because ageism is like one of the last great bigotries allowed in America. And you reach a certain age, and especially if you're like a, if you're a middle-aged white guy, you can kind of forget about it. Like, it's, it's okay. We, we, we had advantages. I get that for years and years and years. And now it's our turn to not have any. Uh, and I've accepted I'm not, I'm not one of the bitter ones. I have friends who are very bitter about it. Right. Um, but I still have things going and opportunities, but it's not like it was. And I'm, I'm a better writer than I was five years ago, but the opportunities are just not the same. So it's really wonderful to have my collecting because it's really fulfilling. And, you know, someday my kids can sell it or they can give it to museums and libraries and things like that. I have one. If you were to write a biography about any current or former Browns player, who would it be? 
I don't think I don't think I know enough about um, God. You know, it's it's the number of. I mean, the fa most fascinating Browns to me are people like Miles and Baker because they're outside the sort of jock mold. I feel like they have especially Miles, but they're so young. I mean, I don't know how you write a biography about a guy who's twenty-five. When it comes to, I think you know, I think it would be really interesting to write a Bernie Kosar biography. Mm. Because what a great player, completely outside the standard norm physically in every way from what he should have been, right? Yeah. Um, gets a Super Bowl ring, goes through so much adversity, and then in his personal life, so much bad shit happened, and he's sort of beloved, stayed in Cleveland, adored by the fans. That, that, I think that guy would be the person I would write about. Oh, man, I would love to read that. I'll read that one. <laughs> Well, man, this was fun. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on, Allison. Um, any any final thoughts, any final words for the Yard Dogs podcast? I just think it's important for all the Browns fans to wish Malik McDowell well. And yes. and, and remember, this is a, it's, it's about mental health. Um, it's not about being a bad guy or criminal this or put him in jail. This guy had a serious psychotic episode, and we cheered him on, and we loved what he did for the team. And now it's time to like just pray that – medical science can help him. Yeah, he'll probably won't be a Brown and maybe that's for the best. The pressure might be too much, but I just hate to see him get morally judged. It just isn't fair. Well said. Thank well you said. so much, you guys. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Well, I, we did as well. And we, and hopefully we can do this again, you know, uh, maybe in season to. three, come on and talk, talk I, a little Browns football. I just, now as I've proved, I just love bloviating <laughs> about the Browns. Like I could, I could talk to you guys anytime you want. Cause I really enjoy it. And I don't have anyone to talk to about it. So, you know, it's yeah. like my girlfriend well, and godson. Awesome. <laughs> you, uh, we, we like to give our guests a chance to, uh, to give themselves a plug. You'd mentioned a Twitter account that's just Browns. It can, would you share that right now so yeah, we can yeah. know where to find you? Well, yeah, well, it, it's AJ Burnett is my name. And then the address is Cleve Freak. Cleve Freak. Uh, so, yeah, so AJ Burnett or Cleve Freak will bring it up. And I'll also give myself a plug, which is that I have a movie streaming everywhere now. Uh, especially Showtime has it a, a, on a rotation and it's called another girl. And it's about a college a girl out of college who gets caught up on the internet and it's a thrill, a psychological thriller. Okay. And I direct, I wrote it and directed it based on a novel I wrote. Awesome. So I promise and that just came out this year or last year. Not just if you know, just, yeah, just a few months ago, just a couple months ago. Well, well, hey, thanks for coming on. I like to end all the podcasts with the Go Browns. So if you'll join us, Allison, one, two, three, Go, Go Browns! Browns. Go Browns.